0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
3: And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, September 9th. 2021.
2: Later in the program, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. Our guest today is Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician from St. Louis and chair of the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. More coming up in the bottom half of tonight's program.
3: Also coming up in the next half hour, the city of bloomington will host the black history 101 mobile museum on saturday more in today's headlines but first emily mccoy has today's state house roundup
0: WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, September 9, 2021. I'm Emily McCoy. This week, State House Republicans announced their plan to introduce abortion laws similar to the abortion ban legislation in Texas during next year's legislative session. State Representative Sue Arrington publicly disagreed with the proposed plan citing that 49% of pregnancies are unintentional and often caused by a lack of education and accessible contraception. Representative Arrington urges that the focus should be on providing funds to pregnancy prevention and not by finding women that seek medical clinical abortions. Representative Arrington also called out State House Republicans for the number of women that are killed or severely injured because they seek outside medical abortions, stating that if this new legislation were to be passed, this number would only climb higher, quote, Indiana shamefully holds the title of the third highest maternal mortality rate in the nation, and we will sink lower if we force women out of the safety of a licensed medical clinic, end quote. The expected drafts of Indiana's new redistricting maps are expected to be publicly announced on September 14th. State Representative Tim Wesco will then hold meetings gathering public feedback on these map drafts on September 15th and 16th. On August 31st, State President Pro Tempore Roderick Bray and House Speaker Todd Huston announced a new online portal that will allow citizens to draw. And submit their own ideas on new district boundaries. Representative Bray commented, quote, this portal is a great opportunity for Hoosiers to share their proposed maps with lawmakers. That's all for the State House Roundup for WFHB News. I'm Emily McCoy.
2: At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on September 8th, Director of Emergency Management Allison Moore shared that this month is Emergency Preparedness Month. She encouraged residents of Monroe County to sign up for alerts through their emergency alert program.
4: Um, it is National Preparedness Month, and this week we are discussing um, to be informed. And so I'd like to share that we have um, a free service in Monroe County. It's the Monroe County Alert. It's an Everbridge company, and you can sign up for free to get any kind of a weather-related alerts. We also send out alerts about health and COVID topics as well. Um, other things that we do, if there's accidents and roads are closed that are busy highways and such, we always try to send messages out to individuals and tell them to avoid areas. And um, so, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. If you've not yet signed up for Monroe County Alert, you can do that on the county homepage. There's a megaphone icon, and you can click that, and it will walk you through how to get signed up. If you need to get signed up by phone, you can always contact our office at eight one two. 349 2546, and we would be happy to assist you in setting up that for you to get that free
2: service. The commissioners unanimously approved a partnership between Ivy Tech's nursing program and the correctional facility. Monroe County Jail Commander Sam Crow said the program would be mutually beneficial and introduce nursing students to an area of the field that typically gets less staffing.
5: Um, first of all, my, my, back, my educational background is in journalism and sociology, and uh, from the beginning of the mask mandates, my, as a mother, as a full-time stay-at-home mother, um, and with my background, my concern was the psycho-emotional consequences of having our children masked during their formative educational years because uh, one of the things I studied in depth in college was something called the critical period of development, which is also known as the sensitive period. It's the time in the postnatal life of an individual when the development and maturation of functional properties of the brain is strongly dependent on experience or environmental influences. And if sensory experience is abnormal, or absent during these critical periods of development, it can have a profound effect on sensory representation uh, in adulthood and it can make it impossible for the individual to learn certain skills later in life.
2: During public comment, Laurel Tannenberg spoke up about the Seven Oaks appeal made about the mask mandate in schools. Since an appeal had been filed, County Attorney Jeff Cockerell stepped in to say the correct procedure to bring the matter to the commissioners would be through Seven Oaks first. This is what he had to say before being redirected.
1: Um, This is really a great program because it opens the door up to some of the nursing students and gives them the opportunity to see what correctional health care is like. Um, There's always been a shortage of nurses for health care or correctional health care. Um, So doing something like this, I think, again, would open up that door and let people see what it's like, the opportunities that are out there uh, for the nursing students.
2: Um, So I think it's a win-win situation for both us and for Ivy Tech. The Board of Commissioners will virtually host the appeal hearing for Seven Oaks on September 16th.
3: The Monroe County Board of Health discussed the possibility of extending the county's indoor mask mandate during its September 8th meeting. County Health Administrator Penny Caudill said that the mask mandate will likely extend beyond the September 30th deadline.
5: So the the current regulation is um, set for through September 30th unless we were to reach um, a level of blue, a blue advisory, and our cases per 100,000 were under 50. Um, So right now we are not in that place. So this order is still in effect. Um, We are numbers again are encouraging of late, um, not overly encouraging, mind you, but a little bit encouraging. There is probably no way that we can get to that uh, metric by the end of September, even with improvement.
3: Claudel said the health department received complaints from business owners when it comes to enforcing the mandate. Board member Carol Tolokian questioned whether the energy spent on enforcing the mask requirement could be better spent on encouraging residents to get vaccinated.
6: So I think that there's a lot of anger about this out there because there's a lot of of things that aren't going as well as they could be. Um, I mean, if people would just get vaccinated, we wouldn't have to worry about masks.
3: County Health Officer Thomas Sharp says he believes the county should let the mask mandate expire at the end of September.
1: I, I would I would just let it expire. I would do nothing to the end of September um, because we're not really getting much out of this, of, of a mandate versus strong recommendation. We still want to have the rules be the same, but people are not, you know, the ones that are not going to comply are just going to cause trouble. And... Uh, the owner can certainly mandate his that they can't come in there, and if they do, uh, without a mask. Uh, and if they do, they can call the police. But um, that's only for really bad behavior. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm not sure what we're getting with a with mandate or a strong recommendation. The rest of the state doesn't seem to think the mandate's doing any good. I'm not sure it is either. I would rather have the mandate, but we have no way to enforce it. So you need to consider what what policy you want going forward as the board.
3: The board will discuss the continuation of the mask requirement during its next meeting on September 22nd.
2: On September 7th, the Monroe County Personnel Administration Committee voted unanimously to move forward funding for a new position under the Stormwater Division of the Highway Department. Highway Director Lisa Ridge asked the committee to add a new position to the 2022 budget to be proactive and ensure the department is able to do their job.
5: Uh, We don't want to take on a new ordinance that we cannot implement and uh, run a good program, so we're trying to stay a little bit ahead of the game there. Uh, This would be for 2022, not for 2021. Um, We have discussed this with the Stormwater Board, and they have passed it unanimously with them also. So we were asking for it to go to WISP for the creation um, of the
2: position. Committee member Marty Hawk questioned why the position was needed.
5: Whenever we start adding positions to a new new person or a new department if it's moving from planning over to here, what do we take away from another department? If, and we're, I think, not, if yeah, we're not I, doing shared duties, which we, we are going to have to in the future. Mm-hmm look at how we share these duties.
2: Committee member Trent Deckard took a moment to remind the committee members that although the budget might be discussed elsewhere, it is important to make official decisions during these meetings so that the public can be kept up to date.
7: One item, uh, comment that I would make, although I think it is exceedingly painful sometimes for all participants to talk about everything 12 times, I do think in a very public way, Having discussions about this here as this moves forward in this process, council has that discussion and budget, makes deliberate decisions. <laughs> I think that's a, not the worst thing for those people that are not us in the public that are watching these discussions, particularly around important um, things. Not that anything's not important, but I think while that can be that can give us blisters at times, I think that, that that's helpful and it keeps it fresh in our minds in the public as well.
2: Committee member Eric Spoonmore motioned to forward the position to WIS, Wagner Irwin Shield, to create the position. WIS is the human resource management consultant they contract with, which Deckard said that more substantive conversation concerning WIS will be had at a later date.
3: The City of Bloomington will host the Black History 101 Mobile Museum from 9 a.m. to noon on Saturday, September 11th. At City Hall located at 401 North Morton Street. The museum will feature a collection of 7,000 artifacts of black memorabilia dating from the transatlantic slave era to hip-hop culture. This collection was founded and curated by Dr. Khalid El-Hakim, a keynote speaker at the city's Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration. WFHB News spoke with James Sanders, Chair of the City of Bloomington Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, Sanders spoke to the collection that Dr. El Hakim has amassed.
8: The artifacts that you will really see are artifacts from very polarizing artifacts, rather from older times where we, uh, our country was not in a state of, I would say, uh, uh, respecting other cultures, respecting other races. Uh, There's some very I would, i say polarizing, uh, artifacts there. You find things from the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, he has some hoods. He has things like ashtrays with just different, uh, slogans and racial epithets that were not, um, that we definitely do not use today. And just things that, that, that make people think about how our country started and, and how much farther we have to go, I think, because of course, you know, you would never see any, any of these things out on display in people's homes or businesses, but these are very real artifacts that were once part of uh, popular culture in our country. So even though those things, you know, have mostly been, been done away with, it's his museum is just a record of of those artifacts that existed and just giving us a history lesson of pretty much you know, with how our country started and, and and how it's progressing and like I said earlier, how much farther we have to go.
3: Sanders describes the exhibit as jarring and polarizing, but he still believes it's important for our community to acknowledge this difficult history.
8: Exactly. It's it's very jarring because you saw some of those items and you could you could probably say to yourself a thousand times, like, Mm -hmm. how was this ever allowed to be created? Mm -hmm. You know? And then furthermore, how could people even take joy in artifacts such as these? And so when I first saw it, I was, you know, just blown away because you just see what was okay, (laughs) you know, back then, you know, what was what was condoned and and then you get to see how how much still are kind of in those mindsets. And I say yes yeah, as, a, as a nation because we realize, you know, racism and civil rights issues still exist to this day. And a lot of them stem from those towns where these, when these artifacts were created. So that's really uh, interesting and heartbreaking at the same
3: time. He touched on how Dr. El-Hakim selects the items for the museum and why he believes it's important for the collection to represent reality.
8: Well, they are the, the artifacts were selected from Dr. L.A. King's many travels a, across the country and in the world. A lot of people call him to, to donate these things, and it's crazy because even a, a couple of days ago, I received an email from someone I had never met with uh, an artifact that she has, and she's wondering if, if it would be uh, any value added to the mobile museum. And so now it's like I've become a part of the process in which Dr. El-Hakim uses to, you know, collect artifacts. So I imagine just situations like like those and things that he's probably tracked down himself, things that, that you know, we may not ever think to look for. I know he, he goes to thrift shops, he goes to all types of settings, uh, maybe SWAT means, I imagine, just trying to seek whatever he can, wherever he can. And a lot of times, and I can't directly attest to this because I haven't spoken about it, but a lot of times he probably sees things that we wouldn't have ordinarily thought, you know, was racist unless it was like very polarizing. He looks at things with a different eye and he can say, oh, well, this is from such such era, and it was really meant for this or for that. And so, I imagine that he has uh, many avenues in which mm-hmm. he collects these artifacts. And I am glad that he does because if we don't document it if, it, if it's not documented and displayed, a lot of times, you know, we forget. We get comfortable in our in the way things are now today, and it's easy to forget the, the oppression or the systemic racism. Sometimes, you know, especially if you are in those minority ethnic groups, you know, Mm -hmm. you never forget, but in our progress, it's easy to put those things aside.
3: Sanders explains that having a museum dedicated to Black history is crucial, especially in the community of Bloomington, Indiana.
8: Uh, It's important because, one, uh, and I'm speaking from a personal perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like we need the, the representation it's easy to get lost, I would say, lost in the sauce in a predominantly white community. And then uh, about that progress that I spoke of, you know, even though we're in a predominantly white community, and actually one of the most diverse uh, counties in Indiana, we still we still get comfortable sometimes and with the with the people that you know we have here. And even though they treat us nice, they treat us, you know, like human beings. They still. Important for us to, to see and acknowledge that those things exist. And I think even more importantly, we have to make the connection from those, those predated times to now because we just didn't go from slavery to 2021 and mm-hmm. say, oh, well, now things are better. There's, there's been a natural progression. And um, I think that that's important to display. That's important for people to see. Where, where things came from, how they progressed and to to
3: how things are now. People may attend the Mobile Museum for free without any registration. Visitors will need to wear masks and maintain physical distancing.
2: In today's edition for Prescription for Healthcare, hosts Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone speak with Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician from St. Louis, and Chair of the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Care Program. Prescription for Health Care airs every month on the WFHB local news. The program is a collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. To listen to all the programs, visit WFHB.org following this broadcast.
6: From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Health Care on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician from St. Louis, and is chair of the Missouri chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. He lectures around the country on the problems and inequalities of our healthcare system and the need for single-payer Medicare for all. Dr. Weisbart was recently in Bloomington and Indianapolis giving presentations to medical students. Welcome to Prescription for Healthcare, Dr. Weisbart.
7: Well, thank you. I Appreciate it.
6: It came as a great surprise to us recently to hear that in 2020, the Trump administration launched a new experiment with CMS, the Center for Medicare Services, that is designed to privatize traditional Medicare. The Biden administration has continued this, quote unquote, innovation. Would you please tell us about the threat to traditional Medicare from direct contracting entities, DCEs, and your participation in getting us informed?
7: Sure. Thanks, Karen. This is an incredibly important question, and it will sound like hyperbole. It will sound like, like it's not possible if this is happening, but it's actually true. This initiative started under the Trump administration, I left unchecked could as early as sometime in 2022, the virtual end end of traditional Medicare. Unfortunately, the good news is that some advocacy work has slowed it down and paused parts of it. But absent that work, traditional Medicare could have essentially been over in sometime in 2022. So the idea here is that as a lot of folks haven't thought enough about, but now there's two flavors of Medicare. There's Good old fashioned traditional Medicare that was started in 1965, and you pay your taxes to the government, and then Medicare pays doctors and hospitals, and almost every doctor and hospital is a part of that program. So when you have good old fashioned traditional Medicare, you can go to almost any hospital or, or doctor in the country. But then we have this other program called Medicare Advantage, where the government doesn't pay the doctors and hospitals, the government instead pays an insurance company like Humana or uh, Blue Cross, uh, all of the money. And then the insurance company uh, pays the doctors and hospitals. But now the insurance company is much more interested in, in their personal finances than they are in any of our health. So the insurance companies are empowered to get in the way of healthcare. They can say, no, you can't go to that doctor. No, you Can't go to this hospital. Oh, you want that expensive test or treatment? We know more than your doctor, and we're going to get to decide that. So the insurance companies under Medicare Advantage can really get in the way of healthcare. And in traditional, Medicare doesn't actually do any of that stuff to speak of. So that's why today, the strong majority of people in Medicare have said no to Medicare Advantage. I don't want that. Uh, So 60% of people in regular in Medicare have regular old-fashioned traditional Medicare. So, what this new initiative is uh, called Direct Contracting Entities is it gives the Medicare the ability, the authority to move everyone in traditional Medicare into a new thing called a direct contracting entity that's essentially Medicare Advantage. So, it looks like Medicare Advantage. It smells like Medicare Advantage. There's an intermediary of Medicare and the doctors and hospitals, the direct contracting entities can say, no, you can't go to that doctor. No, you can't go to that hospital. We're not convinced you need this test. Have you tried this other drug and said it? So direct contracting entities can do all the things that those of us in traditional Medicare rejected. We chose not to have Medicare Advantage. We're, we chose to be in traditional Medicare because so we don't want that. And under this new initiative started under the Trump administration and not yet stopped by uh, by by the current administration. Medicare has the ability to run these tests to see if it's what they think is a good program, and that's nearly done, and then to roll it out across the entire book of traditional Medicare's business. And you wouldn't even know that they did it to you. So you could be happily in traditional Medicare this year, or maybe this is your first year in Medicare, maybe it's your 25th year in Medicare, maybe you're, you know, 90 years old, and you've had Medicare for decades, literally. And overnight, Medicare is, would be is empowered to say, not so fast anymore. Now you're in this new program. And you wouldn't even know that they did it to you. You wouldn't, you might get a notice, you might not get a notice, you might not notice the notice, and you wouldn't know that your good old fashioned traditional Medicare has been stolen from you. And you've been Plop down to this direct contract entity until you go to get some health care. Until you go to get some health care. So you think you've got traditional Medicare, you go to get some test or you go to your doctor or a hospital, and all of a sudden you start getting phone calls saying we're not going to approve. I've chosen not to have that in my life. And 60% of people have chosen not to have that. But this is what the Trump administration started. And fortunately we we do have a way to slow it down or even stop it. But It's really important. The key is that Medicare can do this without having to go back to Congress and ask if they can, because the Affordable Care Act created an organization within Medicare called the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Improvement or the Medicaid Innovation Center. And they have the ability to run a pilot. And if the pilot is success, Congress declared under the Affordable Care Act that they want innovation. So if it's a good innovation, they can roll it forward without going back to Congress. Who gets to decide what's a good innovation? And, and I'm saying having an insurance company or insurance company-like thing tell me I can't go to a doctor or hospital, even though I have Medicare, that's not a good thing. We have to stop.
6: Dr. Weisbart, you're going to be doing a presentation with three other people coming up. What is, what are you proposing to stop this, to get people informed?
7: So first thing is people have to know about it. This is still at the moment flying below the radar. Nobody knows about it. And I think, you know, we have to let Congress understand that once people in Medicare realize what's been done to them, Congress is going to be deluged. We've seen how seniors mobilize when Medicare comes under direct assault like this. We've seen that. Congress remembers that, and Congress has to learn about this. Most of them don't even know this exists. Congress has to learn about this program, understand how unacceptable this will be to the 60% of people in Medicare today who've chosen not to be in this, and that these congressional offices, once people run into it, are going to be overwhelmingly unpopular and deluged with their Constituents. So the job right now is to keep it from getting to that point. The job right now is to get Congress to understand that if they don't stop this, they are going to be dealing with some very unhappy constituents. So our job now is to educate enough people to go and educate Congress. So that means. You need to talk to your representative and your senator. You need to talk to, you need to somehow get a message to the the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier. He single handedly could stop it. We need to get a message to the CMS administrator, the current head of CMS of Medicare, and that's Takeda Brooks LaSure. And we should be messaging the head of the the director of the Centers for Medicare Innovation, and that's Owen and Elizabeth Fowler. So the most, most direct leverage point for most people hearing this talk. Would be to your own representative and senator.
6: Tell us a little bit about about this
7: the webinar with
6: with Katie Porter.
7: People who want to learn more about direct contracting have a terrific opportunity coming up on. On September 23rd at 9 o'clock Eastern time, there's going to be an hour-long free web where four of us are going to be speaking, me on on behalf of Physicians for a National Health Program, and then three other actually smart people. So in addition to me, three smart people, U.S. Representative Katie Porter, you don't remember her, she's the representative whom you should remember, uh, uh, carries the whiteboard and makes things so simple and clear. So I think I'll be explaining what direct contracting entities are, but she'll be explaining what's going on in Congress about this and, and maybe how we should act. The third person is Trudy Lieberman from the Columbia Journalism Review and, the, and a laundry list of other pedigree places that are just. And Trudy Lieberman is a dynamite uh, person to hear speak on this. And then David Lich, an attorney, a terrific attorney at the Center for Medicare Advocacy. Uh, the event is uh, being co-sponsored by Physicians for a National Health Program, by Social Security Works, by a variety of labor organizations and retiree groups, and lots of others. So you want to Look out for this thing on uh, September 23rd.
6: We'll be advertising this also on our Facebook page, on um, Medicare for All Indiana, if people want to tune in. So, Dr. Weisbart, thank you so much for joining us today. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana.